all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And like I always say, happy Friday, everybody. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. We're getting close to Christmas, so probably going to be a busy weekend for most people, finishing up some of their Christmas shopping and things of that nature. But today, um, we have decided to dive into depression because it is that time of season when I see this a lot in my clinic and I am so excited today to have on with me Dr. Kristen Alston. So welcome Kristen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Kinsey. I am happy to be here, excited to talk about um, this important topic. So awesome. So um, tell us a little bit about yourself, background, what you do at UMC. Yes, of course. So um, again, my name is Dr. Kristen Alston. Um, I am a clinical health psychologist um, at UMC. I am the assistant dean for diversity, equity, and inclusion in the School of Medicine, and I am also a tenured associate professor in the Department of Family Medicine. So awesome. So tell us a little bit about your training and your background, hometown, where did you complete your uh, your residency and all those things? Yes. So I am from North Carolina. I am from Halifax, North Carolina. Awesome. Welcome to the SIP. <laughs> yes, yes. If any of my North Carolina people are listening, hello. <laughs> um, I did my undergrad training at Howard University in Washington, D.C., and then I did graduate training um, at East Carolina University in North Carolina and then went to Henry Ford High Hospital in Detroit to do my internship for a clinical health psych. And then how I got to Mississippi, I came here to do my fellowship in health psychologist here at UMC. So that's how I ended up here in Mississippi and have been here ever since. So awesome. How many years have you been at UMC? I came to UMC in 2015. Okay, awesome. (laughs) Well, good. You've been here. So I always laugh out. I'm an Alabama girl. So I'm originally from Huntsville, Alabama. Um, And when I graduated high school in 2003, I have not lived back in Alabama since then. Um, Between undergrad and med school, then I came to UMC to do my training in 2011. So my joke now is I'm like, I guess I'm officially a Mississippian. I have been here since 
since 2011, lived here 12 years, had all three kids here, got my license, you know, got roots here. And at this point, I think it's official. Yeah. So I, th- I think you're getting there. Like, I think you can officially call yourself a Mississippian. Yes. I don't know if, if we have any callers that might want to disagree. You're welcome to call in. But, you know, we are proud yeah. to now be a part of Mississippi. Mississippi so, has a way of pulling you in. It right? really yeah. does. It, it does. really does. Yeah. I, I tell people about and we well, we've loved it here. So yeah. I've definitely enjoyed my transition. So I laugh, as you say, North Carolina and did your training in Howard. And you're probably the people that are laughing at us when a little, you know, snowflake comes down and we're like bundled <laughs> up in our coats and, you know, schools are shutting down and you probably moved here and it's like, what is happening? <laughs> oh, no, not at all. I enjoy the weather here, um, especially when I lived in Detroit. That's when I got the most like snow and ice and woo, the Midwest was a whole different story. So I'm happy to be in the South. The yeah. weather's a little more manageable. Love that. So. Sweet. I literally interviewed in North Carolina when I was interviewing for residency and I got up that morning scraping ice off my car and I was like, nope, moving on back down south. Um, <laughs> this is a little bit more for me than I would like. Well, and as I mentioned before, um, Dr. Kristen Austin is one of our clinical health psychologists at UMC. And so today we have decided that we're going to talk about depression because it's such an important topic, affects so many people. When I was preparing for today, I got all kinds of statistics all over the board. But what I got is it definitely, I know in my practice, and of course, um, Dr. Austin can tell you about her practice as well, that this is something we see a lot and a lot of our patients are dealing with it. And I have gotten numbers from one out of 10, so about 10% up to as high as 25% of the people affected. But one thing that is a consistent across the board is that depression is more common um, in women than Mm -hmm. it is in men. And um, do you have any thoughts about that? Why do we think that's the case, Kristen? Um, I think a few things could play a role. I know sometimes when you look at the literature, it talks about even when you start to see the differences um, between men and women, it can start as early as um, the years in puberty. Mm-hmm. Because for women, um, a lot of things going on around that time and hitting puberty and going through like the hormonal changes at that time, we even start to see those differences that early. Um, and so I know they, the literature, they talk about that as being one of the reasons. Um, and then I think when we just look at Across life, just different challenges, different stressors that people experience can Mm -hmm. definitely play a role. It is. And I have this conversation with so many of my female patients Mm -hmm. that, you know, it is we are the fixers in the family. (laughs) We are the ones that we don't want anyone to see us down. We are the ones that just take on so much. And we just like to do things ourselves. Like it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you have the help, but you oftentimes are just the one um, that wants to kind of um, take over. So we'll just kind of talk a little bit more in detail about uh, depression. But I do want to add that like this is in no um, place of a therapy session. Um, If you are, you know, having feelings of of harming yourself or things like that, please make sure that you're getting to a hospital or calling 911. But we are hoping that today we can really dive into what is depression? What does it look like? What are my options for treating it? What should I do if I'm worried about somebody that's depressed? You know, and all of those different types of things. And so um, tell us a little bit how you define depression. How do we define depression? How do I know I'm depressed? So depression is a mood disorder. Um, And one of the things that you see with depression is, you know, feelings of sadness, this persistent like lack of interest and pleasure in doing things. And it can affect people in so many different ways, like how they think, how they behave, even how they function in day to day life. And so a lot of times what we notice, um, you know, I'll talk to folks who come in and they're like, yeah, you know, I just notice I'm not feeling 
feeling like myself, right? Mm-hmm. Where they have trouble putting into words what they're feeling, but they just know they don't feel like them. And so when you start kind of uncovering those layers, it gets into, you know, folks saying feeling down, feeling sad, lack of interest and pleasure in doing things, um, feeling more tired. Mm-hmm. So that feeling of fatigue, some people will talk about um, sleeping too much. Mm-hmm. Where on the other side, some people will talk about not being able to sleep at all. Um, other people have changes in appetite. So where they eat, they're eating more or they're finding that they don't have an appetite at all. And they're also having fluctuations in their weight as well. Um, one of the other things that we see with depression is, you know, that kind of restlessness, feeling fidgety, not mm-hmm. being able to sit still. Or for some people, it's the opposite where they feel super slowed down, where they're like, hey, I feel like I'm moving in slow motion and I just can't, you know, get get that get up and go. Mm-hmm. Right. And then um, feelings of worthlessness, feelings of guilt. And one of the things that's definitely a red flag is when you start noticing thoughts of, you know, hurting yourself or being better off dead. And so, so those are some of the things that we look for um, with depression. And I always tell people, The thing also that's important to remember about that is, yeah, there may be times where you feel down here or there, right? Any given day, given what's going on. But when we think about depression, we think about it has to have like a significant impact in your day on your day to day functioning. And so you want to take a look at that and see, like, how is this impacting me being able to do the things that I need to do? Um, in my day to day life. Right. And that's the biggest thing that I tell patients, you know, oftentimes it's like sometimes we can have feelings of sadness, Absolutely. but definitely making sure we're going out and getting help when it's it's literally interfering with how right. we're able to do the things we need to do from day to day, our job, Absolutely. taking care of our family and all those things um, are really reasons to go out um, and get help. And it looks like we've got our first caller. We have got Robbie and it's got Peru on here. Robbie from Peru. <laughs> Cusco, Peru, yes. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I have a couple questions about tramadol. In okay. 2017, I had a total knee replacement. Okay. And then the next year, I had to have a lateral lift because they didn't put the knee cap in the tracking mechanism. Okay. So I've got double scar, double scar tissue and double nerve damage. And I occasionally, I use ACE bandages and braces first. And, but occasionally I have to take a tramadol or a five milligram hydrocodone. I have researched and researched how much hydrocodone is in a 50 milligram tramadol and what are the other ingredients because I get a little bit of an energy burst when I take one. Okay. So, you know, you're, I, I'll be honest, off the top of my head, I do not know that conversion of tramadol to oxycodone. Um, you usually can, and I would definitely say, make sure you're talking to your doctor about the two and which one you can take. But one thing I can say for sure is the kind of catch about tramadol works similarly to oxycodone, but it's one that oftentimes sometimes falls out of favor for our treatment of pain because how your body and each individual uh, person metabolize tramadol is so so inconsistent and hard to monitor. Um, so I definitely would talk with your provider about what would be the better option for you versus having both of those pain medicines available. Well, Does that make sense? Yeah, she gave me both of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but sometimes I don't get any relief out of tramadol and sometimes I do. 
Exactly. And that and that's why I was kind of mentioning you can kind of see and that's why tramadol is a challenging pain medicine because of the inconsistency um, that patients get with relief from that. Um, and so I'll be honest, I don't know the mill. You're right. There is a conversion factor for that, but I don't know that off the top of my head, but definitely something to you know discuss with your provider. Yeah, that's good to know because I've never heard that it was inconsistent before. Yeah, and that's why you can see that sometimes, and it's a challenging um, yeah. drug. It's it's an old pain medication that many of us use, um, but it's it's one of the ones that's not used as often just because of um, just the uh, differences and effects that you can see on it with, with the help of pain management. Okay, well, thank you so much, and happy holidays. Yes, happy holidays to you as well, Robbie. You take good care. Bye-bye. And I'm actually pretty happy for for Robbie's question. A little bit later, we'll talk about the effects of medication because sometimes medicines we take um, can really interfere with our symptoms of depression as well. And so we talked a little bit about the beginning. Uh, She shared with us the definition of a little bit about depression um, and what those symptoms look like. So how do we define it in the medical world? You know, like I can know that I have high blood pressure because they take my blood pressure and they give me a certain number or I'm anemic because my hemoglobin's a certain level. So how do doctors help us diagnose and psychologists and everyone help us diagnose depression? How do we find out if we have it? Right. Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, So typically what happens if you're concerned that you have depression, you will go and see a provider, whether that's your primary care provider, if you have a psychologist already, um, but you'll go to your provider and there are a set of criteria that we look for. So typically what we look for is a two week. So for two weeks, you've noticed a change, right? Mm -hmm. And then some of those symptoms that I mentioned earlier, like the loss of interest in activities, the feeling down, the the changes in sleep, appetite, those types of things, we look for at least five of those occurring in a two week period, um, nearly every day for the majority of the day, and that it has to have a significant impact on your functioning, right? Mm -hmm. And and typically how that's done, how do we decide, right? Does someone meet this criteria? We do that by interview. So okay. talking with um, talking with the patient, getting their history, getting information, asking different types of questions. There are some questionnaires that we can use to help with that. So like I may give someone a questionnaire and ask them to complete it for me, just detailing how they've been feeling over mm-hmm. the past two weeks or so. Um, so that's helpful as well. Um, I get the question a lot. They're like, is there any test like, you know, blood test or mm-hmm. lab that someone mm-hmm. can do to tell me? And no, there's not a lab that diagnoses depression for us. But what you will find. Um, and Dr. Kent, see you. I know you'll be able to speak to this as well. Sometimes what your physician will do is run labs just to rule out other things, right? Because there are other medical conditions that can look like depression, right? Or that can make us have some of the symptoms that exactly. we would have if we were depressed. So um, I know some of those are like a CBC. You guys would look for mm-hmm. thyroid. What other things do you guys look for to help rule that out? Yeah. So typically, so she's right. You know, and that's why we say talking to your doctor to make sure nothing else is going on and a good history is something um, to go because you can and I always tell my patients that you can have more than one thing going on Mm -hmm. you can be (laughs) depressed and your thyroid can be off both of those things can happen at the same time and require different types of management but exactly what you said CBC making sure we're not anemic no you know new diagnosis of anything else from that standpoint thyroid is a very common one that depression can be sometimes a presenting Mm -hmm. symptom for some patients and they've brushed off some of the other symptoms Um, so that's definitely something we can see other chronic illnesses like Mm -hmm. your um, autoimmune disease 
diseases, those with lupus, RA, right. those types of things. Um, so you can see those things. So based off of your history, we'll sometimes do other blood tests. But for depression by itself, oftentimes, yeah. you know, not so much. And as I mentioned before, medications, you know, can sometimes have those side effects that right. can make you more Absolutely. fatigued, more depressed. Vitamin, vitamin D being low, vitamin B12. Those, again, the studies are kind of tricky on that. <laughs> but I've learned that replacing those in some of my patients really can help with their mood. Right. Um, you, we can see a difference in that, even though the studies aren't consistent with that. So right. those are just some right. other things that we look at as well. But you're right. Not a blood, not a particular blood test that says you are depressed. Yeah. And I think it's so important when you go and talk to your provider. It, it's so important to get that whole picture, mm-hmm. to really get a whole picture of what's going on, to really kind of tease apart. Because, again, so many things can mimic each other and it can be a lot, like you said, a lot going on. You can have depression and have something else. So I think it's so important to get that whole picture. Agreed. So one thing I also tell people is it's not one size equals all, like one size fits all. Mm -hmm. So what are the types of depression? Like it's just every, I feel like there's just so many different groups. So what are some different types of depression people can be dealing with? Yeah, absolutely. So um, kind of the one we've been talking about when we talked about the symptoms and the criteria, that's for major depressive disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, Some other things that people may hear about, um, persistent depressive disorder um, used to be called dysthymia okay. um, and it looks it can look similar but with that the symptoms are pretty consistent over at least a two-year period so mm-hmm. you find those folks who have been struggling that with that long term and it never seems to let up right with major depressive disorder you'll find sometimes people have it in episodes where sometimes it'll let up and then they may slip back into an episode but with um, persistent depressive disorder it's pretty consistent across the board where they can feel like that for years Um, another one I think that people mention is um, I don't hear about this one a lot but I think it is important especially um, because I know this like it's a women's health show but premenstrual um, dysphoric disorder. disorder oh yeah yeah and yeah. so recognizing so with that one you'll notice like mood changes around the menstrual cycle mm-hmm. and being able to kind of track and monitor that to know if that's something that is related um, and then you touched on I think it was great another one that we see is substance induced or medication induced mm-hmm. depressive disorders so as you mentioned earlier there are some medications that people can take mm-hmm. that can change their mood make them feel down and there are also some substances that people use that can affect that as well So even when we're talking about street drugs, illicit substances, that thing um, can also we can see mood changes with that. Um, So those are some of the the typical ones that we see. Um, And then there are some where we have they're they're kind of in that space of they don't meet criteria for Uh any of them. And it's kind of that unspecified, right, where someone's like, hey, I'm depressed. I don't meet all this criteria for major depressive disorder. But that's still that's okay. That's still something that you can get help for. We can assess that and still develop treatment around. Around that, So even if it doesn't fit neatly in any of those boxes. Right. And so you're exactly right. So all that to say is there are so many different yes. <laughs> types of depression that everyone can essentially be dealing with. And then as we talk about kind of women's health, you know, you, we also have postpartum depression. And the only yes. difference in yep. postpartum depression is you had a baby. Um, <laughs> so the, the criteria is exactly the same, you know, that uh, that uh, Dr. Alston talked about. But it's w- around having had a child. Right. Um, and we screen for that pretty, you know, since it's such a high level that we're seeing in a lot of women, we actually screen for postpartum depression. As a pediatrician, we screen for postpartum mm-hmm. depression when mom brings their baby. Yeah. So at their two-week visit, two-month, four-month, six-month, those are the new recommendations um, okay. for screening for postpartum depression, um, definitely. So uh, look like we have a caller, Ashley from Atlanta. 
Okay. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning. Tell us about your question. Yes. So thank you for taking my call. This is a great topic, by the way, and one I think definitely needs to be highlighted and discussed more. But yes, about depression in children. So I just wanted to know how you are able to tell if a child is depressed and is depression in a child able to show up uh, early, you know, say if the child is younger than 10 and if those things are present, how we can go about um, helping them with that. All right. Um, I think that is a great question, Ashley. And Dr. Kinsey and I will actually tag team that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so so kids, it, it can be a little bit different. So sometimes what you'll see with kids, some of those same symptoms that we mentioned earlier. Yes, you can absolutely see that the feeling down, um, the lack of interest in, in, in doing things, the changes with their sleep, that type of thing. But also with kids, you'll notice things with their behavior like they can be more irritable. You'll notice that they're changing as far as like their social interactions where they're isolating more. They're not engaging with you like as a parent or their siblings or friends as they normally would. Um, those are some of the main things we look for for kids, like those changes in their behaviors, things that you normally see. And then you're noticing like, hey, you know, they're not doing those things as they normally would. The activities that they usually like to play, they're not playing those. They are seeming more irritable, a little more aggressive. Those are some of the things that we look for in kids. And it's so important. I love this question because I think sometimes people forget that kids can struggle with depression too. Oh, it's yes. not just adults. Um, and I would love to hear from you, Dr. Kinsey, like yeah, what you guys you're see You're exactly in right. You can de- definitely see some behavioral changes in children um, that can be depressed. And, and it doesn't always have to be some type of significant family change. So I right. do tell people, you know, if we've changed schools or, or parents have split up or they've lost a loved one, a pet, things like that. So those are all reasons to kind of start looking out for those symptoms in children. But you don't have to have some significant life change for Mm -hmm. children to deal um, with depression. So as far as resources and things go, I always say start with your pediatrician, your child's doctor. And if we're worried about depression, we'll usually refer them to a child psychologist for formal testing, because I tell parents when we do it, we want to get it right. So some kids can be dealing with depression only, or they might be dealing with depression and anxiety and some other things. So um, it's, 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 they can still have it younger than 10. Yes, ma'am. Yes. And it's also very important um, when you send kids to a child psychologist, they're trained to be able to adapt the treatment for that that age. And so I think that's really great. And they're also able to bring in the parent when needed and do some of that interaction with the parent and the child. I hope that helped. Did that make sense, Ashley? Yes, it did. Thanks for calling. We appreciate your question. And I'm going to throw a plug out there, too. So, um, Ashley, on Tuesdays for our MPB uh, Think Radio Southern Remedy series, we have Dr. Susan Buttress on, who is one of our uh, developmental pediatric physicians. And she talks a lot about um, uh, uh, children and mental illnesses and things of that nature as well. So listen in on Tuesdays, too. Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right. You have a great one. All right. Looks like we've got uh, another call in. We've got JT calling from Jackson. How are you, JT? Good. So what's your question this morning? So my question is um, depression as it relates to someone with diabetes, like a diabetic, even though you've had those those discussions with your provider, how do you distinguish between it's your diabetes may be affecting your moods or is it really depression like clinical depression okay 
So one of the things is I'm happy you bring that up because oftentimes people with chronic illnesses, one of the risk factors of depression is chronic illness. Um, And so, you know, the biggest thing is kind of talking with your provider. And as I mentioned before, you can have more than one thing going on. Mm -hmm. You can have your you can have trouble with your diabetes and you can have trouble with depression. Um, So the biggest thing when you think about diabetes is, is my diabetes under control. So monitoring your blood sugar, monitoring your A1C. And if those types of things are kind of under control, it's less likely that the diabetes is exacerbating the depression, but you definitely see depression with patients that have chronic illness because that's something that can cause a lot of anxiety and stress in your life managing your diabetes. Absolutely. And I think this is a great question because this is essentially what I do every day. So as a health psychologist, um, I work in family medicine. So I am in our family medicine clinic and this is what we do um, as health psychologists. We look at that relationship between chronic illness, right? And mental health. And so often we see folks with diabetes, hypertension, um, who struggle with managing that or maybe feeling overwhelmed with that. And that contributes to feeling depressed or like Dr. Kinsey said, feeling anxious and really working with patients to say, "Okay, how do we help you manage this right from both ends? So behaviorally from the diabetes end, but also from the end of managing the depression and managing the mood so that you feel you're able to function at your best physically and mentally. Yeah, I think that's what's missing sometimes. It's like people are so focused on the diabetes mm-hmm. and but then the moods and the maybe depression, it's like that doesn't get addressed mm-hmm. or you're not referred to, you know, like a, someone like you to, you know, have that discussion as well. Mm-hmm. Like the link, it's like it needs to be the whole person. Absolutely. I think that gets overlooked sometimes. Absolutely. And I really appreciate your question, JT, because, you know, that diagnosis of diabetes and sometimes, you know, we're guilty of it as physicians. We see it every day in our clinic sometimes Mm -hmm. and we think, oh, it's diabetes. But that is life changing to a patient. You know, it changes the way you have to look day to day. This is something that's on your mind as you eat each day, as you wake up each morning. You know, am I doing the right thing? Medications that you didn't have to take before, you know, loved ones around you that may have had a lot of complications. So you're exactly right. JT. It is not just taking medicines for diabetes. It is so much more involved. And do we have a moment? I, I didn't know if yeah, we no, you're okay. good. Because I did also want to tell you, JT, we are working on that. Like, I hear you when you say, hey, it's a barrier, right, to getting help for that other side where mm-hmm. the main focus is on diabetes. We're working on that. And one of the things that we're doing is an integrated behavioral health model. And so what that means, so people like me, we're in the primary care clinics, the family medicine clinics, the pediatric clinics. So when you come and you see your provider for diabetes, guess what? I'm in that same building where they're able to pull me in that room and say, hey, hey, Dr. Austin, I have a patient who's struggling with their diabetes management. Can you come in and talk to them at that visit, at that moment, without you having to, you know, schedule another appointment, go to another building, but being able to have all of that in one place. And so we are working on that, and we found that that's been helpful to a lot of people, and we definitely want to expand that and do more. Okay, so can I set up something over there? Because that's, that's more what I would need. <laughs> yes, sir. So, so, it, so our so Doctor Austin works in the family medicine clinic at UMMC. So, um, we'll we'll get somebody to get you the phone number for that, um, and we can get it for you. I, I'm looking at my producer right now, so we'll get you that phone number um, where you're able to schedule a med- uh, appointment through our family medicine department at UMMC. 
Awesome. Thank y'all. All All right. You You have a happy Friday, JT. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. And I have on with me today, Dr. Kristen Alston, who is a clinical health psychologist at UMMC. And we have really just been diving into depression. What does that look like? How do I know I'm depressed? How do we, you know, diagnose it? So, So now we're going to dive a little bit into management. So one of the things I feel like is challenging with so many patients in my clinic, A, is getting us to the diagnosis of depression, Mm -hmm. and B, just the stigma that goes along with treatment. And so I get so many patients that tell me I'm not doing therapy and I don't want medicine. And I'm like, but we need to figure out something in the middle. Um, So tell us a little bit about our options for treating Mm -hmm. depression. Yeah, absolutely. And and first, one thing I want to say, because I know... Yes, stigma is huge, right, Mm -hmm. around mental health, depression. I always tell people your health is your health. I don't care if we're talking about diabetes or depression, hypertension or anxiety. Your health is your health. And for you to function to your highest level, we need to make sure that we manage both. Right. Mm-hmm. And so and, and so it's super important to take that step to say, hey, let me get help for, you know, the mental health side of things as well. Um, so it's with therapy. Um, I get that question a lot, like medication versus therapy. So a lot of times what we'll see, depending on the severity of the depression, sometimes you may see patients who just do therapy. So usually if it's mild to moderate, maybe just doing therapy. But if it's more moderate to severe therapy and medications, but it really just depends on the patient's preference, um, whether they want to do both or one of one or the other. I explain it to folks like this medication. If you think about a race, right, mm-hmm. when when the when the runners get down in the starting block and the gun goes off and they take off, right, Medication helps you get out of the starting block, okay? Mm-hmm. But therapy builds the skills for you to keep going and for you to really get up that momentum and be in the race and be present. Um, so CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, that is one of the therapies that has like the most research and effectiveness related to depression. And what that focuses on is helping to change and manage those negative thoughts mm-hmm. and those negative behaviors that contribute to depression. And so typically in therapy, what that would look like is identifying those negative thought patterns. So a lot of times we fall into all or nothing thinking, right? Mm -hmm. We think like, oh, either I'm doing a great job or I'm doing terrible and I feel like I'm doing terrible, so now I feel down, right? That's a thought trap. Mm -hmm. So helping people identify those negative thought patterns and changing those thought patterns. And then the other piece is the behavior. So helping to really manage those negative behaviors that feed our depression. So things like um, anything negative that we do that feeds it. Some people, when they get down, They say, you know what, I want to stay in bed all day and sleep and not do anything. That feeds the depression. So really coming up with other behaviors, more positive behaviors to help fight against that depression. Um, Depression um, therapy for depression looks different for everybody. It depends on the person. Some people do a few sessions and they're like, hey, you know what, doc, I'm good. I got my skills. I'm good to go. Uh Some people stay a little bit longer and do do therapy for, you know, more long term. And that's okay. It just depends on you having that conversation with your provider, figuring out what's the best fit and what it should look like for you and monitoring all along the way like how's it doing are you noticing it's beneficial what do we need to change Mm -hmm. and that's okay too if we need to change some things so and it's really so you know and I try to tell people it's it's you're not crazy that's all right that the connection between uh, being depressed or having a hard time in life means that you 
gone crazy. That's Absolutely not what it means. Not. And by going to therapy doesn't mean that you're sick in the head or however your family members or friends or things like that. And I tell patients, you know, we're just trying to get you to be the best you. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about how do I pick a therapist? I think that becomes the hardest part too. Mm-hmm. Like the biggest thing I get from my patients is like, I'm not going to tell this stranger about me. They don't right. know me. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. And that can be tough, right? <laughs> going in and opening up about some of your, you know, most personal things to somebody you don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are a few options that you have. One option, like, like you guys. So through your primary care physician, mm-hmm. starting off there, seeing who they recommend. See, cause usually they'll have a referral list or people that they work with mm-hmm. that they're able to refer you to. Um, another thing that people ask too, is important in choosing a provider, somebody that's in network with their insurance. Mm-hmm. So you can always reach out to your insurance company to see who's in network. But I always tell folks also, don't be afraid to try it out and see if that's a good fit. And if it's not, it's okay to find someone else. You're not going to go in a store and just pick any size shoe and be like, hey, give me the shoe. I'm going to walk out here. You're going to be like, let me see. Does it fit? Let me walk around a little bit, yeah. right? <laughs> and if it's not the right fit, you're like, let me try another size. Exactly. And that's okay. So it's important to have that good fit, someone that you feel comfortable with, because then it's going to be the most effective. And sometimes that takes some trial and error. Some people, they're one and done. They're like, oops, like this person. This is great. Some people, they're like, hey, let me try a few more people mm-hmm. until I get that fit. And that is completely OK. I agree. And the, the crazy thing is I tell people there were some positives out of COVID. COVID was a very challenging time across the board for the world in general. But one thing that came out is the push for more telehealth. Mm-hmm. I think more and more, you know, help is available yes. for you without leaving your home. And so there's so many also options online for therapy. You know, there's better help and mm-hmm. regain and all these things that kind of have come out to mm-hmm. um, to help you get therapy from your house. And the nice thing about some of those like better help, there's like a questionnaire. It asks you like, how old are you? Do you want an older therapist, mid-age, <laughs> younger? You know, what it may be, male, yeah. female. <laughs> um, they ask you about your religious preference. So I ask a lot of my patients that too. You know, when I'm helping them find a therapist mm-hmm. and you're looking online um, also looking and reading the bios because you know some yes. people you know faith is very important to them and mm-hmm. there are lots of psychologists and groups and therapies therapists out there that are faith based right. and so they use the fact that you know their faith in, in what they've learned in medicine as well so just like Dr. Austin said just finding what fits for you and not giving up if it's not right absolutely you know, doesn't work out with that first person right and recognizing that a lot of times that first visit because a lot of people ask me well what is it going to look like that first visit a lot of times is just a chance for them to ask you some questions get a sense of what's going on before mm-hmm. you dive like deeper into the therapy piece so I think people you know giving that first visit a chance and then recognizing that, hey, as you move forward, you'll get more into the skill building part of it. And I know it's a weird association, but I always think like that first date, like the first date is awkward. Like you're just (laughs) kind of like meeting the person, getting to know like, what's your name? What's your middle name? (laughs) How many brothers and sisters do you have? Like, so, you know, the therapy sessions are kind of the same way. Like, did you get a good feel from them on that first meet? And then like we can build from there. So I try to tell people, you know, my best friend and I had this conversation once when kind of talk about looking for therapists and things like that. And I'm just like, you got to go more than once Mm -hmm. unless they just do something egregious. (laughs) I get it. I'm a gut feeling person. There are times you go in and you just know right away this is not it. Right. But sometimes you just have to give it a few sessions before we're just like. I'm done. Yes, absolutely. And fit is everything. Again, just getting the right fit for you and being able to feel comfortable in that so that you can really focus on building those skills. So do you do we have an idea? And I know it varies from patient to patient, Mm -hmm. but 
uh, typically how long are people in therapy for? That's a question I get yeah. a lot. Like how often would I have to go? Am I going to be doing this for months or years? Or what does that look like? So that's a great question. And it really just depends. And mm-hmm. it depends on a lot of things like the severity of the depression, um, the kind of the type of treatment, how often someone is going to go. But it also depends on what your goals are as a patient. Right. Mm-hmm. So there are some folks I get where they're like, hey, I want to specifically focus on building skills around this stressor. And they, they're they able to do that in, you know, a few months. Right. There are other people who are like, hey, I have some longer term goals okay. that I want to work on. And knowing that that's going to take a little bit longer, they're there for longer. So it depends on so many factors. But a big piece is the patient is the patient's goals. And I really want to make that clear because you don't have to people all the time like, oh, I'm scared to go because they're going to make me go for mm-hmm. a year or two years. Mm-hmm. No. What are your goals? And being able to have that conversation with your provider to say, hey, this is what I'm looking for and being able to tailor the treatment to that. Right. And I try to remind everyone, please be open. Like, you know, when you get there, be, you know, open minded. And, you know, if they're having a lot of really challenging to peel that onion, like it's going to, you know, probably take a little bit longer. So I always tell my patients, I'm like, trust me, like, I want (laughs) you to just give it a shot. Because as we talk about depression and um, as Dr. Austin is Austin mentioned before, we've got mild, moderate, severe. Everybody's at a different level mm-hmm. that they that they are. And so just like we, you know, therapy, if you've got mild or moderate, right. it might, you know, kind of help more severe, might gonna take a you a little bit more time right. and things of that nature to, to really kind of start seeing that benefit and seeing that improvement as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing, the reason we kind of picked this topic for this week was the holidays is just a rough time for yeah. so many people. Yeah. And I see a lot more depression in my clinic. Um, And you probably see it, too, with many of your family members. So we kind of want to take these last few minutes that we have on the show just to go over some. What are your recommendations just to get through this season if you're feeling down or depressed? Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, the holidays can definitely be a joyous time, but it can also be a difficult time for a lot of people. One of the main things that I will say is be active, be active, be active. And the reason is because depression feeds off of inactivity. So what it does is it sneaks in and it strips away, you know, our interest and pleasure to do things. But then once it strips that away, it then feeds off of that inactivity to make us feel worse. So one of the main things that you can do to fight back against depression is to push yourself to do something. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be anything big, but pushing yourself every day to get out of bed, you know, get up, get dressed. If it's go for a walk, if it's call a friend on the phone, but pushing yourself to do something so that you're not giving depression something to feed off of. Um, Another thing I think is especially um, important during the holidays, setting boundaries, it is okay. It is necessary to set those boundaries and stick to them. I love it. And I think that's as we <laughs> yes. were speculating earlier, why do we see depression more in yes. women than men? I don't think we do a very good job of setting boundaries. It's hard. Yep. Setting <laughs> boundaries is a skill. And a lot of times what we find is that people can set the boundary, but they have trouble maintaining it. Mm-hmm. And so consistency is key with boundaries. So those things that if it disturbs your peace, if it is unhealthy for you, it is okay to put a boundary in place and stick to it because mm-hmm. you, you are a priority. Um, Another thing is, I think, just having some compassion for yourself Mm -hmm. and being able to acknowledge, you know, anything that makes you feel down, any despair or hurt that you're experiencing, having compassion for yourself and acknowledging that that's there Mm -hmm. and being able to have your social support system. Who are your people? Who is your person that you feel comfortable talking to? 
right? Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely important. And then also seeking help. Like, I think that's one of the main things coming out of this. It is okay to take care of yourself and seek help when you need it. Mm -hmm. And so reaching out again, if that first step is your primary care provider or physician that you trust, that is fine. Help Mm -hmm. having them help you get to the place that you need to get help. But those are some of the things definitely during the holiday season that I think is going to be very important for people to focus on. Just those few things right there will be very helpful during these months. I agree. And, you know, and I love the last part of getting help, but mm-hmm. not just like seeking just your primary care provider, but day to day. Yeah, we're not good at getting help mm-hmm. and helping things like getting things off of our plate. Right. right. So a lot of times when I talk to uh, my female patients, like my moms, when I'm seeing their newborns in clinics and things of that nature is taking the help. Yeah. You know, we just want to do so much ourselves. When yes. we talk about postpartum blues and postpartum depression, we have this new baby and we're like, I am mama. Mm-hmm. Mama's mm-hmm. supposed to have all the answers and I'm supposed to do everything. Everything, and you're not sleeping and you're trying to do this and that. And you got all these people sometimes that are there that are like, give me the baby. Let right. me do this. And we're like, nope, <laughs> nope, nope. And, you know, so right. sometimes, you know, and whatever that may look like for you, whether right. that, at, you know, at work, you need to, to let your colleagues know I'm overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, you know, need some help there. You know, being whatever. Being honest with that. Being honest yeah. and, you know, and seeking help from your primary care provider and seeking yes. help in life. Like it is yes. okay to delegate. Self-care is 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 def- you have to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I get a lot of people that say, well, how am I supposed to do that when I have so many people depending on me, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's their kids or another family member or work. Here's the thing that I say. If you are not okay, you're not going to be any help to anybody else anyway. Right. So that person who just had that baby and wanting to do everything, I think, you know, it's great. You are a great mom, but you have to take care of yourself in order to be able to take care of that baby. Right. You have to take care of yourself in order to take care of that other family member. You have to take care of yourself in order to be effective at work. And so taking that step to make yourself a priority. Self-care is not selfish. It's necessary. Agreed. And it's and and you can kill two birds with one stone. When you Mm -hmm. talk about the first thing about, you know, battling some coping mechanisms is getting active and getting out there. And sometimes I'll get, you know, from my families, um, you know, no, I've got to, you know, got the kids, we've got to do Mm -hmm. this, do it together. Let's go on a walk together, get out the house. We all that might be great. Social connection is great. Social connection is great for depression. And create and just do it like you can do more than one thing at one time. Like, right. you know, but also I like to run because <laughs> I put my headphones on, leave the kids at the house, run in the neighborhood and nobody can call my name for like 30 minutes. So that is my self-care when I can get out and walk and get yeah. a few minutes. So whatever that may look like for you, whether it's watching Netflix in your pajamas mm-hmm. or it doesn't have to cost money or be anything extra, finding your happy place, finding your peace Absolutely. or whatever that may be. Absolutely. It's so important. And so just taking that first step, it's OK to start small. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You just got to start. And so I think that's the main thing. I agree. And so just a few take home points. If you're feeling depressed, if you're curious, if you're depressed or not sure what's going on, making sure that you're contacting, you know, your primary care provider, reaching out to a family member. You know, if you're a religious person to your minister, someone seeking help, helping you get that diagnosis and get that diagnosis right and getting some help, knowing that there's lots of different options out there for treatment. We Mm -hmm. don't have to go straight to medications. You can do therapy. That can be an option for 
for treatment for um, depression. We can talk about medicines. I will I will save that for another show. But there are a lot of options um, as well for patients for management of their depressions with medications not required. That's what I tell patients. You know, it's not a requirement and it's very individualized. Mm-hmm. We did talk hit a lot about major depressive disorder and unipolar depression, but bipolar depression, that's a whole nother yes. kind of topic. So if that's something you're dealing with, I don't want you to think you can stop your medicines and get therapy. No, that's not what we're saying today. Um, you need to make sure that you're talking with your provider to make sure that you've got the best option for treatment for your therapy, but doing what works for you and you know what you're working with with your providers and everyone like that is usually what we go with. And thank you so much, Ashley, for your call as well. Looking out for your children. This is not just an adult problem. We can definitely see depression in children. So paying attention to what they're doing and seeking help for them as well. Thank you so much, Dr. Kristen Austin, for being on with us today and hanging out with us in the studio. This is Southern Remedy Women's Health. It is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Abram Nanny. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. Join us next Friday at 11 for Southern Remedy Women's Health and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.